0: The sovereignty of God in salvation. And, and uh, while we respect that, I would have to graciously disagree that it's its own section within the book of Romans. I think it is a glorious conclusion to the first half of the book of Romans for sure. Uh, but as we get to the end of uh, this particular chapter, verses 33 to 36 provides for us a doxology, if you will. A brief hymn. Uh, that praises God in great joy for what He's done in salvation history throughout all of humankind, throughout all of history. And we're going to give some specific attention to just the first line of the first verse of this doxology this morning as kind of preparation ground for the second part of verse 33 through verse 36, which provides for us really the results, if you will. Uh, the results of the foundation that Paul will, will build here in the first line of verse 33 of this brief hymn, this brief uh, doxology, and, and uh, we'll look forward to, to studying this here together. Giving praise to God, my friends, is a natural response of a truly born-again Christian. Giving praise to God for your salvation is a natural response of a spirit-filled Christian. As a matter of fact, it should be difficult for us to go through any day without some expression of gratitude to our God for saving us, (laughs) for our salvation history. I would encourage you that this ought to be a daily expression of praise from your heart to God. To thank Him for in His mercy and His grace. Condescending in the form of His Son and providing through His Son a proper sacrifice for our sin. And giving you the opportunity to accept His righteousness. And be perfected in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something to be eternally grateful for. And and Paul starts here. Uh, with one word in particular that needs attention because it immediately gives us an understanding of how valuable our personal salvation is, let alone God's saving work throughout all of human history. The word that he begins with here in verse Thirty-three is just simply "oh." Have you ever had a moment in your life that takes your breath away? You've got a person in your life that's taken your breath away. That's the idea here behind this word "oh." Paul concludes a section of salvation in human history and he's at the top of the mountain, if you will. I have scaled mountains in the Adirondacks. I've scaled mountains in the Appalachian region. I've scaled shorter mountains in the American Rockies. I've scaled shorter mountains in the Canadian Rockies. (laughs) I've been helped by Cog Rail train out up Mount Pilatus in Lucerne, Switzerland and was able to get to the peak of that mountain and enjoy the vista And on a clear day which, in which three countries can be seen, and I've enjoyed the, the Swiss Alps, I've enjoyed the, the French Alps, I've been taken to the highest places in Argentina and South Africa. I have not been to all the highest places in all the world, but I've been to the highest places in a number of parts of our country and our world. And when you get to the top, whether you did it on your own or with mechanical help, you look around and it's just kind of like, oh, it's wow. We were traveling back from New Hampshire from our son's graduation, and uh, we go through Vermont on our way back from New Hampshire, and there's one spot in Vermont where you can stop and you can see 110 miles over three states from that spot and you pull over to the side of the road on a clear day, even the kids in the back of the car is like, oh, wow. Just takes your breath away. Whether you're looking behind you, in front of you, to the side of you, all around you. It's just, oh, that sounds like a really intellectual response to such beauty, doesn't it? Can I tell you that's probably the most intellectual response to such beauty is just, oh, it leaves you speechless because you realize that God created that and so much more. But that's the idea here as Paul begins this doxology. None of us are going to sing the doxology and start it with, oh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That would make sense. But that's how he begins this one. God's salvation work in human history has left him speechless. And what we'll find out this morning that most significant reason it's less than speechless because he's done something so profound, so infinitely profound that no man in their simplicity could miss it without a decision to say, I see it, I understand it, and I don't want it. The profundity of this oh, is first found in the simplicity of looking over his shoulder at human history, the landscape of human history, and saying, God made the way for man to be saved so simple to understand. That even the most simple-minded human being could easily grasp it and then have to say, No, I don't want it. His heart's overwhelmed. For the grandeur, the nobility, but yet the simplicity of this plan. But what does he continue on to say here in in verse 33? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's about as far as we'll get here this morning. But we start with being amazed at the majesty of God's salvation plan throughout all of human history. Think about this, folks, if you will, with me. The majesty is in the simplicity. There's only two fundamental groups of people in all the Bible. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. How many of you here can count to two? Right? Remember the profundities and the simplicity. God did all of this among two groups of people. You say, well, there's lots of different nationalities among the Gentiles. That's true, but God groups all the peoples of all the earth throughout all of human history into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. And God had a very simple declaration after the fall of man into sin, how he intended to buy back mankind to himself within those two people groups. And the story of all the Bible brings ultimately glory to God. I think that's the sinquan on. The unifying theme of all of scripture is the glory of God. But the only way we can bring glory to God is through knowing the express image of his glory who is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God glorified, Jesus Christ glorified his father on earth. That's why he was able to die. Perfect man, perfect divinity, who is perfect man had to die for sin in perfect man. God glorified his father through his death only because he glorified his father through his life. And what we come to know and accept his person and his work on our own, we bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And that's the way it's been throughout all of human history. Look to God only through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whether he was yet to come or you look back since he's already come. The landscape behind you, in front of you, all around you is to bring glory to God only through Jesus Christ. Is it really that simple? Oh, wow. Yeah, it really is. It really is that simple. I think the outline that we've given for the whole book of Romans details that simplicity. We found out from chapter 1, verses 18 to chapter 3 and verse 20 that both Jews and Gentiles are condemned because of their sin. We found out from chapter 3 and verse 21 through chapter 8 and verse 39 that both people groups have been offered justification, sanctification, and preservation through the Lord Jesus Christ if they'll just look to Him. We found out through chapters 9 through 11 that both people groups can be vindicated, righteously vindicated, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul looks back and he says, wow, God's infinite love has been expressed in the most elementary way. And we know his heart for his own people in chapters nine through 11, and he grieves, right? He prays for them, and he grieves some more. "Lord, how can men miss the grandeur of the simplicity? How? So it leaves us looking at the world, which still consists of just Jews and Gentiles. And we wonder, how can they miss the simplicity of God's grand scheme of buying mankind back to himself? Two people groups restored to God through one person. Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. That's just when he gets to the top of the gospel mountain, if you will. He looks around and his breath's taken away. And then he continues. When he gathers himself and his thoughts, he goes on to say, after looking around, he looks down. Think about that, the, the direction of Paul's words here. Oh, wow, I'm at the top. I'm looking around. And now I'm going to look down. he says here, oh, the depth of three things. Oh, the depth of three things, riches, wisdom, and knowledge, and they're all sourced in who? The grammar tells us here, the riches and wisdom and knowledge are all sourced in God, in God. I want you to underline those three words because what we're going to find out is is that those three words are mentioned again only later in what we'll look at the next time we're together in each person of the Godhead. But for this morning, we'll consider the simplicity, the grandeur of the simplicity, and then the depth of three things, the riches, wisdom, and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth. One author said, and I agree with him, he could have said, Right? He could have said, let's look up, let's look around. How glorious it is. But after he looks around, why doesn't he look up? And when, why does he look down? Oh, the depths. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll try to explain them in the most elementary way that this little feeble mind is able to do. I've told you folks over the years that my dad and mom used to take us on vacation to the Gulf Coast of Florida. And, and one of the reasons they did that is because it was so cheap. All they had to do is pay for gas. And back then it was about 65 to 72 cents a gallon. I can remember my dad groaning over when it got to 74 cents a gallon, right? And all he had to do was pay for gas and, and then a couple McDonald's stops on the way down for about, you know, 10 cheeseburgers apiece for the boys. And then it was pretty relatively inexpensive. And then we'd get down there and and we had a distant cousin that had a a little house on a little river called Crystal River near Tampa St. Pete area. And you can still find Crystal River on a map. And it's freshwater river that flows right out into the Gulf of Mexico. But the salt water never mixes with the fresh water because the flow of the fresh water out is so strong from the cavernous underground springs. The the salt water doesn't mix with it. But anyways, that's another whole phenomenon you can study in your own time. But we would stay there for free and, my, and our distant cousins would feed us and care for us. And, and I think you folks even took a trip with us one time down there and, and uh, we would go out on their boat, and they'd pull us on tubes, and some would ski. And, uh, but the most glorious thing that we did was snorkel. And Jacques Cousteau, you remember him? Uh, he did a lot of exploration in the Crystal River area, because there's a lot of, you know, species of water animal in that area, unique just to that area and so forth. And, and they would take us in and out of these small inlets, Right, and over wide expanses of water in this river, and we would snorkel, and you could be snorkeling in three feet of water where my arm could reach down and touch, right, the bottom, if you will. And you'd be snorkeling around being amazed because this water was crystal clear. That's why it's called Crystal River. And you'd be snorkeling along, and, and all of a sudden, they wouldn't tell you. They wanted you to be shocked by it. You'd be snorkeling along, and, and you, you wouldn't be looking up, Right? In shallow water it's a little bit lighter color and deeper water it's a little darker, but you're just fascinated by all that you're looking at, and all of a sudden you come over and there's this cliff and it's like a five hundred foot drop off. And you just you, you in your snorkel, you're like <gasps> right? And then you start panicking because it's like, oh my goodness. It's all—it's weird. You, you know you can float in three feet of water, but there's no way you're going to float in 500 feet of water. You know what I mean? You're shocked. You're shocked, and you pull your head up, above the water, and they're on the boat, and they know why you're gasping, because they, you've experienced for the first time this new vista, this deep vista. But what was amazing, once you gathered yourself and put your mask back in the water, you could see just as clear to the bottom of that as you could in three feet. It's just beautiful. but you can only see what you could see at the bottom of what you could see. There were scuba divers swimming in and out of these caves and these, the mouths of these caves could be 10 to 20 feet wide and they're just gushing out fresh water. As a matter of fact, on the surface you could see the water bubbling Right from these springs that are just constantly effervescing this fresh water. As a matter of fact, the scuba divers would have to use quite a lot of strength to swim into those caves because they were swimming against the current. But you could only see what you could see, and it was glorious enough. But you couldn't see what the divers couldn't what the divers saw, and the divers could never have enough strength to go as deep into that cave as they wanted to because of the flow of the water so they couldn't see what they couldn't see. That's the idea of what Paul's saying here. After, oh, it's the depths. What I see is gorgeous and it's beautiful for me but yet I still can't see what I can't see. And it, on, and it goes on 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 in unfathomable ways to the mere human mind. Even so much so that even in a glorified state, if none of us were fallen in sin, even that mind would not be able to comprehend the depths of the depths of the depth. Of the depths of the depths, oh, the depths wow people I read an article recently, and the article i, I love i love reading about. A lot of things in history, but I love reading about oceanography as well. And a re- recent article I was reading um, explained that, that humanity has only been able to um, research 3% of our world's oceans. You know, 70% of our globe is covered by water. And no matter who you are in any country, all the people that study What's in our oceans, we've only covered about 3% so far. And the article went on to explain how some of our oceans and their depths will never be researched. Because engineers have not come up with a way yet to create a machine to be submerged to go to the depths of the depths of the depths without that machine imploding And they said, there's just no way that we see that we'll ever be able to discover what's there. But what do they find out? Every time they go deeper, there's a different species, a different environment, if you will, a different water habitat. And they go deeper and they find more. And they go deeper and they find more. And the same things with space, right? But that's the heights. We're talking about the depths. Man cannot, cannot ever Come to fully grasp what we'll find out the next time we're together. What's the next day? How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Oh, the depth of what? Of the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches. Now, I think you've got a pretty good idea where we're going here. When we come to riches, wisdom, and knowledge, we're going to be talking about the unsearchable realities of all three, okay? Oh, the riches. Some of you, some of us, have been to various places throughout our world that are pretty affluent. God gave us the privilege of floating on a man-made river that was exquisitely landscaped and surrounded by breathtaking foliage, plants, trees. Uh, It's a man-made river that was around the the Shangri-La Hotel in downtown Abu Dhabi and and if you're if the if the landscape of that man-made river that you could get on a boat and float around for quite some time <laughs> surrounded this this glorious hotel if you thought that was gorgeous walk into the lobby of the hotel and that is a place where peasants do not belong right that's a place where Riding on the river, I hope I don't. I'm sure surprised they let me or us there. I'm, I'm surprised they let us walk into their lobby, let alone have a meal there. You just feel like you don't belong, and the opulence, anything and everything that you could see overlaid with gold, precious metals, every kind of precious stone. Walking on floors more valuable than your life, probably. Maybe you've driven through the Hamptons, and you were overwhelmed by the magnificence and grandeur of an immense home that you saw situated there along the Atlantic, only to find out that that was just merely the summer home of an oil tycoon who makes his residence in Texas. Maybe you've been to Microsoft in the Northwest, and the campus of Google in California, or, or the palatial property of Nike in Oregon, and you thought, oh, there's like so much money here, and These folks must have really deep what? Deep pockets. And you think, wow, there's no no end to the depth of their wealth. As believers, we know that God owns it all. From the Emirates, to the Hamptons, to the Silicon Valley, to the great Northwest, to the oil fields of Alaska, God owns it all. Oh, the depth of the riches unfathomable unsearchable Deuteronomy 10:14 you know well behold to the lord your god belong heaven and the highest heavens and the earth and all that is in it We used to sing a song here as a special number taken from Psalm 24 in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and they that dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. One author put it this way. All that you see that is not God, God owns as we try to search out the unsearchable in relationship to the salvation riches that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, right? We have these riches in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. We have in Him that which we will never completely be able to fathom. Yet God's given it to us. God comprehends His Son. God comprehends everything about Himself. He inhabits eternity. He's not bound by time. God gets Himself. God doesn't have any troubles with Himself or His Son or the Spirit in an infinite way. And we have Christ. We have the infinite riches of God in Jesus Christ. We know what we know. We're immensely grateful that we know what we know, aren't we? Praise God. But think about that. We've been given so much more, we'll never be able to comprehend. And yet, we're still secure as a child of God in Jesus Christ. Another author said this the poorest heir of God is a trillion times richer than Bill Gates. All that God owns, we have in Jesus Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 9. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. You'll remember. Romans chapter 9, verse 22. What What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and He did so to make known the what? The riches of His glory Upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for his glory. That's us. We are partakers of this unfathomable wealth in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, don't you? Cross-reference that in the margin of your Bible. We don't have time to go there, but... Paul says, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of what? His grace. The riches of His grace. Oh, the depths of the riches. Both of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, I find it important that we simplify this reality of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Okay? When we think of knowledge, we think of facts. Would you agree? Just knowing the Bible, knowing data in the Bible. And I would say that's an accurate definition. When we think of wisdom, the way I like to put it here to you folks is it's the Bible with hands and feet. How do we live what we know in the Bible? Let's contemplate this just for a couple moments as we, as we finish up this morning. Oh, the depths. Remember that. This is unsearchable riches, unsearchable knowledge, and unsearchable wisdom. What do we know about wisdom and knowledge? Well, God gives us knowledge in His Word, and He gives us wisdom. Wisdom. To be able to apply that word to the way we daily live. And, and we seek to do that as we progressively become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And and we often say that this book is the mind of God. Right? And, and we would say amen to that, right? right? And I want to say this in the most reverent way that I possibly can. We, we do understand, though, that when we come to heaven, we're not going to be needing this book. Amen. And I would say at that moment that we will find out that God is much more at that moment than he described to us in this book. Hang out with me here, all right? This is the depth, the unsearchable depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So we only know what we know. Let's say that you have the ability to memorize this whole book. Pharisees in the, in the Old Testament tradition, the core of the core of the Pharisees, would have been able to memorize all of the first five books of the Old Testament. No one here, I guess, I haven't heard it yet, had been able to memorize the whole Pentateuch and speak it word for word. Let's say that you had the ability to memorize all 66 books. You would be considered quite a phenom intellectually. And that's even in a fallen state. When we get to heaven, right, and we're sinless, we're still finite. Would you agree? When 1 John 3 says we're going to be like him for or see him as he is, that's in relationship to sinlessness. That's not in relationship to Comprehensiveness of being, if you will. So, when we get to heaven, we're going to know him in a sinless way, and that's certainly much more comprehensive than the way we know him now. But think about it this way I had a seminary professor uh, in systematic theology, uh, Dr. McCune, and, and he put it this way He said, When we get to heaven and we're in a perfect state, we're going to continually come to know God more and more throughout all of eternity and we will never be able to come to a full comprehension of infiniteness as a finite being. Think about that. He said we will continue to get to know God every day in heaven in incremental ways. We'll learn more and then we'll learn more, and we'll learn more, but we'll never step out of the classroom. Oh, the depth, unsearchable, the text says here, unfathomable. The wisdom and knowledge of God. One author put it this way. Have you ever been to the library... Uh, of Congress? Have you ever been to a library of a local university campus? Do you have a device? Do you have a computer that has a hard drive? I don't even know what they call them now. Computer people, we used to call them mainframes. What do they call them now? The big big computer boys, right? The cloud, (laughs) right? All that's in the cloud. All recorded facts, whether a library or a hard drive, all the data in each person's brain here this morning, all the facts, all that we know about creation, all that scientists know about microbiology, right, and microorganisms, all that we know about macrobiology and macroorganisms, all that we know on the smallest level or the largest level, all the facts, all the data in the world, if we were to put it in our brains, our heads would explode. We can't handle that. I was listening to one sermon over this text, and, and uh, the, the preacher said this, this, all this data would actually, part, a, a small amount of this data would just give, our head, or give us a headache. But then he went on to say God just doesn't have headaches. <laughs> and he knows far beyond all of the facts known to man in every place, in all times. It's unsearchable, un- un- unsearchable. It's incomprehensible. You think God's surprised by fissure number 17 off to the side of Mount Kilauea on the big island in Hawaii. He wasn't surprised by fissure one. He won't be surprised if that whole island goes underwater. He understands what's under the ground, at the ground, and now above the ground. He gets it. He's not troubled by any of that. He knows why some of you this past week, why some of you heard Laurel instead of Yanny. (laughs) Right? And you sat there puzzled as you listened to that recording in social media and your wife heard Laurel and you heard Laurel and your kid heard Yanny. And your kid looked at you because you heard something different than them and they put their hands in their face and your daughter says, Daddy, what's wrong with me? Why am I so weird? Why am I not hearing what you're hearing? God knows why. That's chuckling about it, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't even explore it. It's no big deal. <laughs> the sermon should still mean something to you, without without knowing that. Go with me over a couple pages to the right to First Corinthians chapter one. This is the text that came to my mind. I'm sure it's a text that's probably come to a number of your minds just going through this. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness, literally the simplicity of the message of the gospel preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. Remember, two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the what? The wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, Amen. And Isaiah's hymn in, in Isaiah chapter nine and verse six sung every Christmas and handles Messiah by thousands across the globe. The Lord Jesus Christ is called Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I've always been drawn to all those words, but in particular, the second name for Christ in Isaiah 9, 6, Counselor. Oh, the depths of unsearchable wisdom. You can cross-reference here both in Romans 11:33a and here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 20 to 25 Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 20 which describes the Lord Jesus Christ as being the wisdom and knowledge of God as creator sustainer and the ultimate glory of God and study that out on your own time we have the riches in Christ. We have the knowledge and wisdom of God in Christ and he's given to us that which we need to know so that we can have a relationship with God in Christ, but there's so much more to know about him. And what a great journey we're on in that experience of increasingly knowing God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, folks? This is why, as we wrap up, I find it so intellectually dishonest for even Christians to sit around and debate various nuances of the gospel. Okay? The gospel is the gospel. No matter what theologians written about the gospel, no matter what ism has been purported as a result of the gospel, oh, the depths... I'm just glad I'm saved. I'm glad I was told I was a sinner separate from God. I'm glad I was taught that faith and repentance are both gifts from God and I need to turn from my sin and place my faith in Jesus Christ alone and by the grace of God be gloriously saved from my sin in Jesus alone. (sighs) Oh the simplicity but oh the depths. and It grieves our heart even more We know that Jesus is the wisdom and knowledge of God throughout all the world. And everything that is that we see, He created, He sustains. And He's bringing it all back to glory to Himself. And yet, man still says the number one person they don't want in their life is is not their spouse. It's not their child. It's not their neighbor they don't like. It's not their teacher they don't like. The number one person man doesn't want in their life is Jesus. Who for us, and we look back over the landscape of human history, it's like, oh, wow, how beautifully simple. He gave us all of himself, which we'll never be able to comprehend, to simply know. And he's the answer to all these ills in human society. And yet man just still says, no, no. But to those of you who have said yes, let's praise God. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for...